welcome to a new episode of Darker Days Radio. And I am one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I am joined by Crystal. Hello, Crystal. How's it going? Hello. It's going. It is, isn't it? Spring break. (laughs) Spring break. (laughs) No, I don't get that because out of the world of academia, I don't get, well, even when I was in academia, I didn't get holidays like that. Uh, Anyway, yeah, it's going, isn't it? Like, it's busy. Uh, There's lots of things going out um, and releases we'll cover quite quickly. Um, Anyway, Crystal, um, what are we talking about today? Uh, We're here talking about the Black Ballad. Uh, yes. So, so it is yeah, on. Uh, sorry, it is on Becker Kit right now, um, and we are here with um, one of the uh, other writers and editor, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeff Mueller. Excellent. Hey. Hi, Jeff. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for having me on. That's no problem. Yeah, it's it's good. Like, um, yeah, it's busy. Uh, we'll get a taste of that in the gaming news because it's like tons of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Black Ballad. Uh, but before we get into that, let's do the gaming news. So, um, there's quite a few things going on. Um, I am, obviously, there's so many biases in stuff we talk about in gaming news right now because we're involved in so many products somewhere along the lines. So, Cubicle 7, who I write for on various things, are beginning to tease more detail of their C7 D20 system. So, this is basically them in reaction to what happened with 5e, having a their own compatible evolution of 5e in their flavor which makes sense because they've also got a few uh 5e things um that have gone through kickstarters recently i'm trying to uh was it broken weave um also from cubicle 7 uh imperium maledictum is out so that is and we'll talk about this a lot more in dark hammer because i didn't write for it so that means i can look at it at least with a a, a sort of a little bias again because I write for Wrath and Glory, but we'll talk about we'll talk about that in um, Dark Hammer. So that's a 40k RPG percentile system. So it's an evolution of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition, where you you are not playing Space Marines. None of that. You are you are Inquisitional um, uh, grunts. Basically, you're you're going to die quite easily and quickly to Gene Seal or something else. So that's fun. Uh, what else is out? Crystal, there's another cool book out, isn't there? Yeah, the Vampire 5th uh, Edition Player's Guide is out. Uh, the PDF is just dropped. Um, and from Renegade Studios, um, I wrote on that. Cool. Um, along with uh, a bunch of other writers that are really awesome. So definitely check that out. It expands upon um, all of the already established clans within the system um, mm-hmm. provide some really awesome powers, some really awesome clan banes, alternative clan banes, as ah. well as expands on things like Thin Blood Alchemy. Wicked. That's cool. Um, right. Other things almost, well, kind of out-ish and then coming up. 
Um, and this is where I do put on my biased hat. Uh, Nightmare Empire is heading up to backers right now. Uh, I've seen some people have received their copies. So that's Nightmare Empire was the expansion for iTunes RPG that covers Cricks. That's a D&D 5th edition based rule system. For that's obviously uses the uh, setting that War Machine Hordes are based on. And that means, and I've already been interviewed about this, uh, the next Kickstarter is soon from Private Press, which is The Deep Wild. So um, we are looking at Gator Folk. We are looking at more about the Pharaoh. We are looking at all the wilderness areas of Western Amoran. And I've got a big scenario, which is a road trip. And it involves Pharaoh. Lots of Pharaoh. I mean, pick people with horrible machines. What more can you ask for? Um, so, yeah, that's that's coming up. Um, and related, as of when this episode goes out, which will be the Friday, it'll be Friday as you're listening to this, um, assuming you listen to it on release day, uh, I will be at Chilcon in Sheffield, which is a wargaming convention in the UK, and I'll be running demos of War Machine uh, M- uh, MK4. So, yeah. That's all the that that's that's the non-related gaming news I can think of so far. And obviously, what we're talking about right now is Black Ballad, which is running until the fifth of April on Backer Kits. So when you listen to this on Friday, you will have two less, yeah, two less days than what than what we're talking about today. Um, so, and I'm sure the the stretch goals will start disappearing quite rapidly uh, in those final days. So there's plenty of things to check out on the campaign. Um, and what else have we got, Crystal? Um, so this weekend um, is C2E2, which is in Chicago. Um, I know that Rick Hines, who is the lead writer of The Black Ballad, as well as um, Drake from Diamorte, who we're going to talk about that's connected with Black Ballad, is going to be there. I will also be there on Saturday, um, floating around. So um, Rick is going to, I think, either be an artist alley or writer's alley in the writer's area. One of those two areas, um, definitely seek him out. Um, he um, is selling his own um, fiction books, which are absolutely amazing if you have not read them. Cool. And with that, we can talk about the main part of the show, which is uh, The Black Ballad. So let's move into that part now. Right. Okay. Um, so, Crystal, you know more about what's going on than I do because I've had zero time to prepare for this. <laughs> so, I am the uh, allocated idiot for the episode that I will ask dumb questions. And also, because of all the people here, even though I've written for Iron Kingdoms, I'm still a 5e novice in some respects. So, um, yeah, Crystal, take it away. <laughs> all right. Um, well, first off, I'm going to actually have Jeff introduce himself, um, since I am one of the co-hosts and stuff. I, I, my work is pretty familiar with our audience, so um, I'd rather you introduce yourself and everything else um, with all of that. So go right ahead. Cool. So I'm Jeff Muller. Um, I am known on the uh, the Twitterverse and the interwebs as the Mighty Jerd. I'm a I'm a fitness slash actor slash author slash TTRPG guy. Essentially, I have no time to sleep. I do all the things. Um, it is, I'm a constant squirrel in the nerdverse, uh, amongst other things. You know, always 
chasing after the new shiny objects and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, like, like I said, I'm really happy to, to sit down and talk to you guys about the black ballot. I mean, we're really, we're really excited about it. You know, um, like Chris said, you know, by the time listeners are hearing this, I think there'll be about three days left in the campaign. So we've been running for almost a month now and it has been a wild train ride. Let me tell you. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the awesome thing is, is that we uh, have only, I think, two stretch goals left. Yeah. To and, and there are no more stretch goals. This is it. Like they aren't doing any of the secret stretch goals or anything like that. No, our, um, our so, goal going into this was to, to make it as transparent and as straightforward to audiences as possible. You know, there there's multiple ways to approach Kickstarters and crowdfunding and things like this. And a lot of them involve secret stretch goals or constantly adding stretch goals or, you know, having a really low number to hit up front. So you can say, we backed on day one, yay, but it's not the actual number you need to produce the product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So our goal at Storytellers Forge was to make sure we go into this with the the number we need to fund it up front, the number of stretch mm-hmm. goals we know we're prepared to deliver in a timely fashion up front, so that at the end of the day, backers are going to get what they backed when they expect it and for the price they're expecting. Not adding a bunch of shipping costs in there because, oh, now we've unlocked all this extra, extra stretch goal stuff, which now adds to the shipping cost, blah, 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 blah. We want people to know what they're getting and when they're getting it and for us to be able to stick to it. Yeah. And yeah, they were really upfront with that too. That's actually directly on their backer kit page where they lay out the cost for everything up front. Wow. So yeah, it it was so it was a larger stretch goal start or larger uh, funding goal starting, but it was a reasonable cost when you think about the cost of the book and paying the writers. Yeah. That was like everything is all put in there. Wow. So actually in some respects, even if someone doesn't back this this I say kicks up with this this campaign it's actually a really informative one if you are in the process of coming up with your own campaign for your own product because it's you can learn a lot so I need to go look at this <laughs> absolutely yeah um yeah they've been like been super upfront with everything that costs and some of the stretch goals are um even like paying the writers more, which I mean, we got paid a decent amount and then paying everybody else more, like everybody that worked on the project is going to get a bump in pay. Um, so yeah, like, you know, they had Stripe processing fees put in their backer kit fees are wow. also listed. It's like their own, it's the whole accounting sheet essentially put in there. That's amazing. Um, right down to like the penny. It, it's wow. an important conversation to have, we thought, because, you know, for, for the last year or so, you know, you take all the OGL stuff out of the picture and everything else. You know, the, the major discourse around TTRPGs lately has been around the cost of the product to the consumer and the ability for production companies to pay the people working on the books a what is commonly accepted as a reasonable wage. But the problem is, is a lot of the rhetoric around this, a lot of the discourse around what a reasonable wage is, is, is kind of coming out of a, I don't know, it's coming out of a black hole. Like there's just no, it's just out of left field and it's just, there's no backing to it. So it's nice to be able to lay out for people. Okay, we hear you consumers. You want to make sure that you're getting a quality product and you're not paying an arm and a leg for it. 
but you also want us to pay everyone involved, artists, editors, writers, you know, a real wage. Well, mm. here's what the math is now. Hopefully, the people that, you know, can look at this go, oh, $65,000, which was our original goal for the, for the campaign, isn't out of, the, isn't out of the, the realm of reality at all. Because here's the breakdown of it. Oh, and by the way, we're also paying people along, you know, everyone involved, what is considered that reasonable wage. And two of our stretch goals, was Crystal mentioned, we've hit where's a pay bump and then an additional pay bump. So yeah. we feel that we're providing, you know, kind of all that information out to, to the world to show what you can do, how much it costs to do it. So the people that are trying to put their own campaigns together, you know, I'm not going to say use our stuff as a blueprint because clearly, you know, I'm not saying that it's the greatest thing out there. I think it is personally, but you know, I'm sure other people don't, um, you know, but you know, we try to put a modicum of info out there though, so that people don't just launch crowdfunding campaigns and then realize, Oh yeah, we do have to pay our platform. Oh, we do have to pay processing fees for all the credit cards for the people that are, you know, buying the product. Oh, that comes out of the top. Oh, we got to pay for ads and marketing. Oh, that comes out of the top. You know, all that stuff, those hidden fees, so to speak. We just wanted to be as transparent as possible. Cool. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's actually gives a whole lot of insight just to, to the the behind the behind the uh, the the curtains, as it were. So, um, I guess we can do- actually really get into what the hell is Black Ballad then? Uh, what what is it? What what's what's uh, the pitch? <laughs> Man. Okay. So the Black Ballad um, is an epic, high level adventure based on the music of the band Diamorte, um, who Crystal re- referenced earlier. Um, it's about life, yep. death, regret, and ultimately acceptance, um, all taking place in the land of the dead. Um, we think it's the perfect adventure to run after your party has all died in some horrific dice-rolling disaster. Um, or, you know, just if you want to start from scratch, absolutely, we're making sure that it's, it's, you can run it either ways, um, you know, after a TPK or just, hey, let, let's give this a, give this a shot. But, you know, either way you approach it, we're promising to deliver on our premise, which is that everything in this book is epic, it's metal, and it's meaningful. So that's awesome. my pitch. That's the pitch for the Black Ballad, folks. The, the tag is, so um, so you died, now what? Like, that's literally the tagline for the book. <laughs> so... Then in that sense, what does that mean for the character types you play? Because if you're dead and you're in a realm of some realm of death, does that mean you are playing? Because I'm I'm now thinking about stuff I did for Iron Kingdom. So I'm going like, are you undead characters in the realm of death, or are you technically kind of living, but the the that realm realm of death version of living? So you're not technically undead like if you were say in iron kingdoms and go i'm going to play a specter which you can do you know what i mean i'm just trying to get that that oh, absolutely. what are you what what's the metaphysics the the goal behind this was to be able to plug it a i just want to preface anything we say here we want to be able to plug this setting slash campaign into any world any setting etc so we tried to design it a little there's a little bit of wiggle room, so storytellers or game masters or dungeon masters or whatever you're calling yourselves can kind of, pl- you know, kind of force that, force it in, um, you know, where the the edges maybe don't quite align perfectly. So we've given enough wiggle room for that. But the goal is is that 
characters, when they're dead, arrive in this place called the Sunless Crossing, which is where our adventure begins. The Sunless Crossing is a holding pen, essentially. We don't want to call, we don't want to call it purgatory because it's not. Um, most fantasy worlds involve some form of resurrection magic and necromancy and things like this. So our thought process is, well, what happens when those sorts of magics and those sorts of abilities become so commonplace that souls are just being shuffled around like, you know, like uh, trading cards, you know, like ma Magic the Gathering cards or whatnot, and gods are just, you know, trading them back and forth and this and that. Wouldn't that be a giant pain in the ass? So, in our mind, the cosmic hierarchy of gods have created this place called the Sunless Crossing, which is where souls go to wait to see, am I going to go to my ultimate afterlife or am I going to get resurrected? Because there's no point in putting someone in their afterlife, letting them experience bliss and, and ecstasy or pain and damnation, depending on where your afterlife is going to take you. And then pulling you back because some, you know, some cleric decides, oh, well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and resurrect this, this body I found, or some necromancer decides, nope, I'm, I'm raising this guy to, to serve in my army. So the Sunless Crossing is kind of this holding pen where it's, you are a corporal form of your soul's energy. So you're not undead. You, your character interacts with the world of the Sunless Crossing as if the Sunless Crossing was a real world and you were a real living character. Now, should your soul be pulled out of the Sunless Crossing, we have rules set in place to kind of dictate how that works. And do you come back as an undead in the real world? You know, do you move on? Are you a ghost? Are you a specter? Whatever. But while you're in the self-contained area of the adventure, you're interacting with it as if it is the real world and you are a real living character. Cool. Um, I mean, there's so many questions that brings up because of, as you say, with how <laughs> how the metaphysics of how how resurrection occurs. Because if it's a if it's a kind of a holding pen of sorts, time must move weirdly there versus the world they came from. Yes. Because you don't know when in the future you will be resurrected. An astute observation, and we do cover that in the book. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, I'm apt, I'm absolutely happy to answer any questions you have. Some of my answers might be, you got to buy the book to find out. But, oh, yeah. You know, we, we, we spent months working. You know, so my, my role on the, on the project is both a, a writer and a developmental editor and producer. So from the developmental editing side, we spent a large amount of time discussing the metaphysics behind this because we realized that in, it has to be baked enough that it feels real and there's verisimilitude and it, and, and it feels like a real setting. But there also needs to be enough, like I said, wiggle room so that it can fit into existing worlds, existing homebrews, et cetera, pretty easily. And it yeah. was kind of hard. It was hard at first to strike that balance. But I think we, we've done a good job in kind of laying out, you know, how this, how this, the rules of this world work and how moving within this world is different, like you said, than moving in, in whatever your, your regular game world is. But actions that occur here in this world can definitely impact the larger world, you know, outside of it. So our, our goal is that storytellers that pick this up and run this adventure coming out of finishing this campaign, their next homebrew, their next campaign that they run will be changed and the rules of that world metaphysically will be changed based on the actions and decisions made 
during this campaign? So I guess the question then is, how does interacting with this world when everyone's just had a TPK, how does that influence, say, what certain character classes do or certain heritages do? Like, you know, because elves are very long-lived, dwarves are, some are very Mm short-lived. Some character types might have nine lives if they're cat people i don't know um or or and then there's obviously their classes because obviously i mean how i mean these must be all things you thought of like what does it mean for a character that's died when they had a demonic patron or what's it mean with their god does it mean they everything they knew about because that's also a huge question then it's like oh you've got to this afterlife does what's it mean for religious characters when they realize what they thought the afterlife should be is not you're the perfect straight man to to lead me into my next my next point <laughs> about this book and I, I appreciate that uh, well done uh, so you know uh, we took a bent on this that this is a cleric focused campaign now that not everyone needs to be a cleric but we are trying to give meaning and the ability for clerics to really be able to dig into what does it mean to be a cleric in the world of D&D or whatever other world you're, you're talking about? How does that relationship with your deity or other, or other deities, other religions, how, how does that really work? Because a lot of times in, at the gaming table, we don't have a chance to explore that. Like, oh, yeah, you believe in this God. Hey, you believe so hard you get spells. Yay, you. And, th- and that's, that's as far as that conversation goes. We're kind of looking at more the, the deeper meaning behind that and, and forcing characters, whether they're a cleric or not, to, to face, oh, this is the actual afterlife. I have the ability to go from here to that portal over there that leads me to wherever I'm supposed to go based on the actions that I took as a living, breathing person. Man, do I want that? <laughs> Is there any way to change that? And now that I'm dead, do I have the ability to influence where am I going or am I stuck based on the decisions that I've made in the past? I mean, again, that'll be answered in the book. But you know, we, we kind of dig into those sorts of things. And same for warlocks. You know, there is a there is a large plot line involved in this in this book that involves a a war in the heavens between warlocks and those that oppose them. So it's a whole there's a whole study of patrons and what does it mean to be a patron, you know, or what does it mean to be a follower of a patron versus what does it mean to be a follower of a deity and what are those differences and and how does that kind of how does that branch off and, and is it different from, from each other or in some regards, how is it the same? So we look at all of that. Um, yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of some of the focus. So when I said that, you know, our, our premise was that everything's epic metal and meaningful, that's the meaningful part. We want people to really think about some things. We want to give them decisions as part of the plot that they really need to sit down and think about that maybe they haven't before. Like, what does it really mean in a fantasy setting to be resurrected? What does that do? What does that do to the people that your loved ones, you know, 10 years later, you know, when you just reappear, you know, it's very much like the, like uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like they, 
that that the blip, right? What mm. happened when people came back after being gone for five years? Sends things into chaos. So what happens in a world where people are just resurrecting people willy-nilly and left and right? How does that really in, impact society? We want people to think about that a little bit. Yeah, because it's like, what's it mean for yeah, what's it mean for ownership of things and yep. uh yeah just uh inheritance and and who gets to rule a kingdom when someone comes back from the dead um uh, yeah that's a lot of big questions so that then i guess leads us into the thing that is when someone dies and they end up in the sun's crossing what are they what do they bring what are they able to bring with them and therefore, what are they able to do in the Sunless Crossing? Because surely there must be canny NPCs in the setting that have realised that they get quite a lot of influence by almost preloading people before their resurrections to do something. Because there's going to be this cycle where someone's going to get resurrected, do something in the real in the living world. And then someone else is going to die that they were hoping would die. There's this economy of death going on. So like economy of death is a great way to talk about, you know, what we, what we've kind of accomplished in this book and what we're trying to look at. And in terms of what characters bring with them, man. So we spend a lot of time thinking about this. Um, You know, when you, when you start this campaign, you wake up dead and you wake up with a couple of key items because our vision for the Sunless Crossing is that everything here is a manifestation of memory. So, you know, a good portion of the metaphysics behind this setting and this campaign is all about memories, um, both your memories of what it meant to be alive and what the living world remembers about you after you've passed. And we have characters fill out obituaries and and wills as, as part of the character creation process or part of the, the campaign start um, session zero stuff as well, because it's kind of important to look at both sides of that. Um, but characters show up here with, with a handful of items that they have a strong connection to. Now that could be a paladin's favorite sword, you know, that he's, you know, carried with him since day one, or it could be a mage's spell book that they've been pouring their heart and soul into. Or it could just be a really interesting story item that your character for role play purposes just has to have with them and they have that connection to. Um, now, of course, we're not trying to hamstring people throughout the entirety of the campaign. There's going to be the opportunity to go ahead and gear up and prepare for the epicness that comes later in the campaign. But we don't want you to start with just everything you had when before you die because it's kind of boring. Um, we want characters to, again, think about the meaningful items they have on their inventory and bring those with them. And in terms of being able to, you know, shuffle things back and forth because they're just manifestations of memory, should your character get resurrected in the material plane and come back? Well, you're not bringing anything with you. Um, You are, you know, whatever memories, you know, whatever vestiges of memories that you've picked up in the sunless crossing that, you know, Maybe you're taking the form of a magical battle axe or something like that. Well, it's just a memory. So when you're resurrected, it doesn't come with you back to the material plane. So we've kind of shut off that ability to work the economy, so to speak. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we've, uh, we took a lot of time to look at that and make sure that it's as balanced as possible, but also meaningful as well. Cool. Um, so 
then I guess the big question is then, I mean, this obviously with regards to the caveats of how much you can say about the plot, what should players be expecting that they can do in the in this world? Like, you know, oh, because of course like, some people may pick up and they'll look at the, the scenario and then they're going to be like, right, but obviously there's going to be those players that are always going to go completely on tangents. So what what's there to explore for them, like, and do? Like, so it's a I fully fleshed out yeah. for, for First and foremost, you know, a good portion of the story yeah. takes place, place in the city of Knox Valar, but there are other areas to explore within the Sunless Crossing. There is a plot, there is clearly a story that we're trying to tell here um, all about dead gods and this war in the heavens between, you know, uh, competing warlock sex and everything else and a, and a metaphysical disease, if you will, that kind of starts running rampant through the multiverse. Um, like I said, this gets epic really quick. The first chapter, very chill. You know, you're starting off, you're like, oh, wow, we're dead. Let's uh, kind of examine what that means to us. Let's get in touch with our feelings a little bit. Let's 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 kind of feel out what this Sunless Crossing place is all about. Maybe have a couple encounters with the weird stuff that's happening here that we've never seen before. And then it goes to 11 really, really quickly. Um, but we, we are making sure that there's room for side quests. Um, we've written in, you know, that every chapter comes with multiple side quests to allow for characters to go off on those tangents. Um, should they be interested in for whether it's something the storyteller thinks is going to be interesting or whether it's something the player latches onto. They're like, hey, I kind of want to explore this. Now, granted, there is a point in the plot where we hit ticking clock, you know, where things are happening and we want, we want the players to be focused. But at the end of it, here's the thing. Who says where they're going to end up? Maybe they're, mm-hmm. maybe they're going to end up back in the Sunless Crossing again or maybe they're staying <laughs> there. Maybe, you know, maybe they want to explore it. There's a lot of stuff for characters to do here. Um, a lot of things for them to to interact with, a lot of NPCs, a lot of new factions, um, new new uh, heritage slash species slash races, whatever you tend to call it at your table, you know, new classes that they can interact with and kind of play with, some that are native to this Sunless Crossing setting um, and can should only be played here. Um, uh, but man, there's so much. And I don't want to give away the plot, but, you know, perhaps possibly at some point the characters might actually fight a god i don't know maybe i don't know if i should say that but there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen yeah cool um so speaking of things that are kind of unique to that world then what kind of things are there with like how because again like how magic works because like if you're already dead then certain spells, certain oh, abilities right. are kind of yes. moot. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that must mean you have to fill in some gaps, like you know the the like the characters that have like turn undead or or resurrection spells or 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 so forth. They must have some things that kind of overlay in their place. They do. I'm not going to say that undead don't exist here. And there is a metaphysical okay. reason for that. Um, so Turn Undead is still very viable in this setting, mm-hmm. um, much to the chagrin of everyone in the Sunless Crossing who doesn't want to see any undead here. Uh, but there are a lot of spells that, yeah, we're just saying straight up don't work. You know, you can't, you're dead. You're not resurrecting someone while you're already dead. Like that stuff just doesn't yeah. work. 
we shut it off. Plane shift. You're not plane shifting your way out of being dead. You know, there's certain there's certain elements, and we and that's for D and D and for other settings. You know, we kind of give some guidance to the storyteller about okay, look, here are the type of spells and type of magical effects that probably aren't going to work here, and here's what you can do to kind of you know if if you have a character that's built around that specific thing, well, clearly you're going to have to give them a little something else. Um, and also along the way, we've, we've set up a system for characters to, to um, receive divine boons and things like that. So they will be getting even extra powers that function only here in the Sunless Crossing as well. That'll also help make up for that sort of stuff. Mm. And then I guess that leads on to... In order to accommodate this world, what kind of new systems and things did you have to bolt on to kind of like support that kind of the metaphysics? Did you have to do much or is it just kind of like turning mm. on and off bits of, of 5e? I, let me put on my, my editor hat, my developmental editor <laughs> hat here. Um, we, had a lot, we had a lot of conversations about this coming into the book. Um, I feel to answer your question directly, we only had to turn off a couple bits and bytes here and there, toggle a couple of switches uh, to make it work and make sense. That said, we've added a couple small subsystems to enrich the experience here in the Sunless Crossing. Um, the concept of what happens when you die in a setting like this, when your soul dies, isn't really addressed. Now you can hand wave it and it plays perfectly fine, but we have a, we have added, you know, this, this concept, this rule set of unraveling what happens as you, you die once. Mm, not so great. Oh, you die a second time in the sunless crossing. Let's mark off a couple hmm. important memories. And all of a sudden you're starting uh, okay, to yeah. like your character, you're like, Oh God, what's happening by the third one. Next time you die, that's how undead are created here. They've just lost all semblance of touch to who they, their humanity and who they were. So we've added systems like that that are optional. They're not required. They're not a part of the story, but we feel that adds some extra flavor to the setting. We've also added some some other things like there's a you know a couple mini games. You know you know Crystal wrote a, a wonderful mini game for for the setting. You know a couple other small systems that we have in there that we think add some flavor. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, that's a good point then. So, Crystal, how did you get involved in this project? Because <laughs> you have complete <laughs> bias in this episode. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. I do. Um. So I had worked with Rick on um the the Red Opera, yeah. uh, which is also a five E setting that um was based off of an album from Diamorte. Um, which if you have not listened to the Red Opera, it is gorgeous and absolutely fitting for that entire setting. Um, I, I suggest you take a, take a listen to the music because I'm, I'm so looking forward to hearing what they come up with for the Black Ballad. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Rick, and, Rick and I have actually been friends for quite some time, I think since about 2014 or 15, somewhere around there. I met him at a convention when he was selling his fiction novel 
Um, and it was the very first one and he hadn't had the second one out yet. And I kept seeing him at all of these conventions and then finally introduced myself as a writer to him. And I kept teasing him about when his second book was coming out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, finally, uh, stuff happened and he was coming up at the red opera and he wanted me to write on it. Um, and I said, yes. And from there, uh, we worked together on a couple other projects and, this came up and he was like, I have purgatory poker. Um, I want you to write it because you're really good at the crunchy stuff. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I came up with the, the uh, mini game that, that you can, or one of the mini games that you can play within the setting. Ah, cool. That's in purgatory poker. Yeah. I can see that being fun if you're trading of oh, God knows like grave goods or memories or, whatever um you trade your spot in line actually uh, you bet your spot in line so you can get either a better spot or a worse spot <laughs> and that spot in line is to yeah wherever the uh, afterlife leads to or to yep. do anything everything oh, wow. that needs to happen in the afterlife is bogged down by bureaucracy just like it is in the wow. real world and then I guess same question for you, Jeff. Like, how did you kind of get involved in this project? I don't know. <laughs> so I, uh, um, honestly, I reached out to when Rick first started talking about doing this. I had I was familiar with his work from a production standpoint on the Red Opera and how he, you know, there's a lot of good buzz about how he treated his staff, the people that worked with him making sure that everything, you know, was taken care of for them, which kind of echoed my, my ethos on how I think production should happen in the indie space. You know, ev my motto is everyone gets paid across the board. Um, so he had that reputation and I've been looking to attach myself and work with a group of people on a TTRPG project for some time now and just hadn't found the right fit. So I reached out to Rick directly. I said, hey, man, um, you don't know me. Uh, I don't really know you, but uh, let's chat. <laughs> so he and I hopped on, hopped on a call, talked for about a half an hour, talked about just gaming, things like this, got a good feel for each other and decided it would be a good fit to bring me on both as a, a writer and an editor. Um, and it was just kind of, you know, since, you know, since starting kind of moved into more of a, a producer uh, role as well, just kind of overseeing a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of herding cats that happens with with project projects like this so you know working with the team to just make sure that everything's getting done when it needs to get done and that you know we're 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 making sure that the product is going to be uh as good as we all believe it's going to be and i guess the big the big kind of like then um question i have then is how in what ways does the music side of this inform how the setting and game it, it plays out. So, I mean, there's obviously thematics that, but then how literal is there's a question of how literal does some of it translate into the setting? There's, yeah, there's that kind of question, it's, I guess. It's a thematic link. So yeah. Diamorte's next album uh, really is focusing. It's, it's a, it's an, it's a sequel to the last album. So it's, it's continuing the story. Um, and what, you know, without putting words into Drake's mouth and the band's mouth, um, you know, it really is about 
the examination and acceptance of what death means to people. Um, so thematically, each chapter of our story maps to a song in their next album. And that's really, that's really where it ends. You know, we diverge, you know, severely from the story that they're trying to tell in the album. But the, the main emotional element of that track to that chapter remains the same. Now, there's two albums we're talking about here. So Diamorti is going to be re releasing a metal album, The Black Ballad. Um, as part of our Kickstarter, or our backer kit, rather, um, we're also releasing a DRM-free orchestral soundtrack that storytellers can feel free to use not only at their table, but also when they're streaming, which is kind of yeah, nice. Cool. So they don't have to yeah. worry about that hit. Um, so... A lot of storytellers, you know, myself included, like to set the mood um, with music and things like that in the background. So we want to provide not only at least a single track, if not more, per chapter that kind of helps set the mood. It's a lot, it's just nice, you know, if we know what yeah. the story we're trying to tell as writers to be able to go and here's something that's evocative, um, you know, from from a from a sound perspective that you also can use, it just saves the storyteller time of then having to go out and look for music and try and find something that we're, we're just handed it over on the silver platter. Um, but ultimately the album tells a story of examination and acceptance of death. And so does our campaign. And, and that's kind of how it's tied together. Cool. I think we've covered almost all the points that we had down. So, I mean, really, is there anything that we've kind of missed? I mean, Crystal, is there anything, any highlights of working on it that you can think of or things that you've seen other people work, you know, contribute and being like, oh, wow, that's like also novel and would be of interest to listeners so they can go along and back it? Um, what I am actually going to say is that almost every single writer or artist or editor or composer or even like there's voiceover characters and character work and everything like that. Hmm. Go to the backer kit and take a look at them and look them up online because they all have their own stuff going on. Um, like there are so many fiction writers on here on this project um, and some of the add-ons that you can get are their fiction works. Oh, wow. Um, and so, and, and it's not tied to the Black Ballad. There is going to be fiction coming out for the Black Ballad. Um, but I think, like, the biggest thing about Storyteller Forge that is really fantastic is, is that they're looking to become a bigger publisher. And there are going to be a lot more things coming up. This project is their spearhead project and every single person that's tied to this project is tied to other projects that are going to be going on in the future. And so as a publishing house, they already have like 40 people, like something like that. There's like a whole bunch of writers and stuff on this project and they're all going to be going off into other projects and stuff like that with, with Storyteller Forge. And, and so this, follow those people and look them up because they are absolutely worth um, knowing as creators out there. Mm. So. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> 
yeah, um, it's, it's big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other points or any other highlights that we've missed in this? I do want to make a point that, you know, some of our, we've already hit one stretch goal, which was a system conversion. Our last stretch goal for the campaign is a second system conversion. We know that D&D is not everyone's favorite system. We understand that. Uh, so what we're going to be doing at the end of the campaign, uh, as soon as we lock it up, we take a day to breathe and rest, is we'll be reaching out to all of our backers. And if, you know, we have both, you know, either one or two of those conversions unlocked, it's going to be open to community vote what we go with. We haven't decided yet. You know, we're, we're, we all have our, we all have our favorites, you know, our, our, our own personal biases, but really it's about what the backers want. So if it ends up being that the backers say, we want a Pathfinder conversion, well, we're going to give them a Pathfinder conversion. If they want a Savage Worlds conversion, that's what we're doing. If they want Mork Bork, that's what we're doing. We are, we are 100% open and ready to do the conversions to make sure that the story works at whomever's table wants to run it. Mm. Boom. Cool. There, I said it. That's really cool. Um, right. I can't think of anything else to ask about it because it's like, obviously there's a whole lot of what is in this campaign which is tied up in the plot because it is an adventure. So there are there would be just massive spoilers and that would just be pointless then for this episode is to give away so many spoilers like that. Um, But we, I mean, Chris, are you satisfied that we've covered all the points that you think we should have covered? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, Because I can't think of anything else. Um, And it's, (laughs) it's way past midnight at my end. So I am, uh, I have zero other thoughts in my head now other than i mean it's interesting i mean from my point of view looking at it it's it does some things which is it upends things that are kind of accepted things in D D. like you know we're talking about you can't do your resurrection because they're already dead so you can't use those sorts of things again I, to me having worked on iron kingdoms i see parallels with that where you turn on and off elements of D to make the setting unique um I think there's also some interesting concepts which I kind of that that I find reminiscent if you've ever played Kingdom Death where people just your your yeah. survivors wake up in this nightmare world I, I get huge amounts of of that kind of vibe um and uh there's elements obviously you know our longtime listeners you know there's definitely elements of like wraith and geist in there also mummy uh mummy the uh mummy the curse because they're also memory based characters so i think there's there's shockingly definitely... some of the writers have worked on those projects well, what a freaking <laughs> surprise um well there we go um so yeah i think there's that's definitely gonna be uh, there's also i think of um uh, the underworld setting in Exalted, even I think there's definitely elements there which mostly, it, you, know, you and that's the thing because obviously this is, it's a setting, but is as you said is agnostic, so you could fit it into your homebrew, which means then obviously go plunder your other RPGs for your inspirations and pull them in because I guess the Sunless Crossing doesn't have a set thematic style so if you wanted it to feel more have elements of 
almost an East Asian elements of und- of of the afterlife and underworld for in those societies and how you pull it into how you want to run your game or other underworlds. Um, I can see that working quite well. Cool. Well, I think that's it. That's that's an hour or so. Um, again, thank you, Jeff, for going through that. Uh, Crystal, uh, thank you for obviously helping put you know the show notes and organising this. Um, so where can people get in contact and find out about stuff? So we will include in the show notes, obviously, the link to the backer kit uh, for the Black Ballad, uh, where you'll find everything that you'll need. Um, but Jeff, uh, can people find you on the interwebs if they want to follow your work or read about what you do? They absolutely can. You, for the most part, I'm most active on Twitter, uh, and that's at the Mighty Jerd. Um, you can also find me in the Dice Camp instance of Mastodon, same handle, um, Instagram, same handle, etc. So I'm pretty much the Mighty Jerd across the board. Uh, but more yeah. importantly than me, I, I'm just an individual contributor. Everyone should be following yeah. ST Forge Studios on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can just go to storytellersforge.com and get the social links from there and whatnot. And of course, thank you for putting in the link in the show notes. But my question to all the listeners is if you haven't backed it yet and you love TTRPGs, why? You got three days since you listened to this. Go back it. <laughs> exactly. Um, right. And then, obviously, for everyone else listening to this, if you have any further questions, you can email us darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us at Darker Days Radio on Instagram uh, and Twitter and YouTube and uh, everywhere else. Um, you can go come on to our Discord, obviously, follow the links where you can chat about this and anything else. And I'm sure there was something else I was going to say. Uh, and obviously, you can find all these episodes www.darker-days.org. And obviously, it's syndicated on Spotify, uh, Apple, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, I think. Yeah, all, this, all the regular places to get your um, crack. Um, and I think that is it. So uh, thank you again, Crystal, uh, for yeah. putting this together. And thank you, Jeff, for the uh, overview and uh, and insight into this pretty cool, uh, very cool book, game, setting, world, scenario, story. It's all of those things, all in one book. So, um, And that's it for now. So we'll be back with more episodes of Dark Days Radio, Dark Hammer, and uh, other wonderful things soon. So goodbye for now. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Darker Days Radio.